communication has been just fantastic. And even after leasing of property, Platinum Properties has kept in contact to check everything's okay. Welcome to the Creating Wealth Show with Jason Hartman. You're about to learn a new slant on investing, some exciting techniques, and fresh new approaches to the world's most historically proven asset class that will enable you to create more wealth and freedom than you ever thought possible. Jason is a genuine, self-made multimillionaire who's actually been there and done it. He's a successful investor, lender, developer, and entrepreneur who's owned properties in 11 states, had hundreds of tenants and been involved in thousands of real estate transactions. This program will help you follow in Jason's footsteps on the road to your financial independence day. You really can do it. And now, here's your host, Jason Hartman, with the complete solution for real estate investors. Welcome to our 10th show episode, number 1220. Every 10 episodes, we go off topic and discuss something of general interest for your life enrichment and success. And today will be one of those episodes, number 1220. It's my pleasure to welcome Dr. Warren Farrell to the show. He is author of the New York Times bestselling books, Why Men Earn More, The Startling Truth Behind the Pay Gap, and uh, What Women Can Do About It, and The Myth of Male Power, Women Can't Hear What Men Don't Say, Destroying Myths, Creating Love, and the new book, The Boy Crisis, Why Our Boys Are Struggling and What We Can Do About It. Dr. Farrell, welcome. How are you? Very well. Good. It's good to have you on the show. So you have a really interesting story. You were one of the real thought leaders in the National Organization for Women, otherwise known as NOW, back in the heyday. I don't know what year exactly, but maybe 70s, I'm guessing. And then you yeah. you left that organization, right? Is that the right story? That is correct. I was very, I spoke all around the world on behalf of the women's movement and was on, the, I guess, the unique position of being the only man ever elected three times to the board of of the National Organization for Women in New York City, mm-hmm. and um, was you know very supportive of the organization until in the mid '70s there began to be a large number of divorces, and now is getting a lot of um, petitioning from their female members that they didn't want um, now to be in favor of children being equally involved with both parents after divorce. That the women felt that they wanted as now members to have the right to be the one to decide what's best for the children. And so my response was, I understand the politics of this. They didn't want to, you know, alienate women. But on the other hand, the issue shouldn't be what's best for women or what's best for men. It should be what's best for children. And insofar as we knew at that point in time, this is the mid-70s, we didn't have as much longitudinal data as we have now. It seemed like children do best with about an equal amount of father and mother. As it turns out, the data for that is just not even controversial by anyone that looks at it now, it's overwhelming that children do much, much better with fathers and mothers, both in the in the picture after divorce. Well, I can attest to that personally, because I grew up without a father, with a single mom, and I tell you, I suffered for it. I think my life would have been much better if I had the influence of a father. I had to sort of be my own father <laughs> to some extent, and I had a couple of surrogate fathers, and uh, they guided me and helped me, and, you know, that was important, but hey, there's nothing like your own, right? Uh, so I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> so you're, yeah, you're absolutely right. My I'm married to a, a woman who has an adopted daughter from a former marriage, and mm-hmm. uh, we had a um, a rancher over um, to our home from New Zealand. 
And uh, we were saying, well, what is it like on your ranch? And he was talking about how the chickens, they had 12 ducks and they had two parents and both parents, parent ducks were killed. And this chicken took over and raised the ducks, uh, ducklings. And um, the ducklings, one day they went down the to where the lake was and they all jumped into the lake. And the chicken um, that had cared for the ducklings just went wild because she couldn't swim and didn't think uh, ducklings could swim either. Hmm. And the adopted daughter of my wife spoke up and said, she said, that's just the way that I feel. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm a duck raised by a chicken. And, um, you know, our, we have enormous amount of identification with our biological parents because half of our genes is you know, right. one parent and sure. half the other. Yeah. And when even though we may have very caring, loving, additional adoptive parents, the child always sort of says, in a sense, who am I, which is why so many adoptive children go looking for their biological uh, parents. Yeah, very, very interesting. You know, I think a good measure, a good litmus test, it's not all this way. I mean, it's good and bad. Everything's good and bad all the time throughout history. But a good litmus test of how completely screwed up the world is nowadays, I think, would be to look at dating sites and the pictures and the basic prostitution that is going on on these websites is absolutely disgusting. I mean, did the feminist movement ever think this is where we would end up? Many people don't know this because they're not single. They don't look at dating sites. I gave up on that. I don't do dating sites anymore myself, and I happen to be single. But I have a friend who has really been chronicling this. I think he's going to do a book about it. And it is absolutely pathetic. I mean, it's just unbelievable. This is not like a good, I don't think it's a good deal for women, is it? The way the whole thing turned out? Uh, well, I, I'm not the world expert on dating sites, but I, I do. I, Helen Fisher, who we were ironically talking about just before the call, right. is, and I've you know, talked with her about that recently. Right. And she's been and, on the show, um, yeah. She feels like actually it's really not a bad system. And I mostly agree with her, meaning that although you, what you find on these sites, like you find on all of the anything with the Internet is the best and worst of everybody, uh, the best step forward. And also, you know, the anonymity allows it seems like the demons inside of us right. uh, to surface. But I think what it allows, especially sites that tend to be more responsible, like Match.com, mm-hmm. do tend to draw in a large number of people who would never be able to find each other and yeah uh, but you have you have to you have yeah. to sort through the, the right, crap right, if right. you will yeah, of course of course, <laughs> but, of course. Um, but you do at least have women that are taking risks whereas in normal life men take historically speaking take when I grew the first up, move especially, yes definitely we, we yeah. took all the, the risks right, right, right. and then we were blamed when we did it wrong mm-hmm. and especially blamed recently when it was done incorrectly right but but i'm more addressing the bigger issue and to tee that up, I probably should have asked you, you know, let's just dive in for just a brief moment about what is feminism? And I think to define that, one really has to examine the first, second, and third wave of the feminist movement. And I would argue that it has not been a very good deal for women. Am I crazy? I disagree with that on the immediate level and agree with that on the long-term level in some ways. 
So I think that the feminist movements, the blessings of the feminist movement have been that it's expanded women's options. No question. And given, um, and so that's first you know, wave. Uh, and, I have two and, daughters. Yeah. So first wave and second wave, all you know, good, sort of the, right? It, yeah. I think where feminism went off was it, first, second, and third wave are used differently by different people. So mm-hmm. just say recent feminism from the 1960s on, that whole belief that women and men should be paid equally, who can argue with oh, that? Oh, nobody's going to argue with that. Nobody's going to argue with equality. I mean, no, no sane right. person, right? No, nobody would argue with that. But it got to this point where it seems like it backfired. And when I talk to women, you know, they, they tell me that they'd rather have it just rewind about 20 years or so. And it was a better deal back then. I think the challenge with feminism, and because I was involved with it at the very early years, especially, and uh, is that it, we had gone through the civil rights movement in which where there were oppressors and oppressed. And then a lot of the feminist movement at the beginning was very Marxist in its orientation, where again, there was oppressors and uh, the oppressed. And so the, the natural propensity of the early feminists, especially the radical feminists, was to say that there is an oppressor group and there's an oppressed group. And since men were making more money than women were, right. they were the naturally um, oppressors. They were right? the natural yeah. oppressors. Right. And so then they, they developed the whole theory that we lived in a patriarchal world dominated by men who made rules to, to benefit men at the expense of women. And that's where feminism went wrong. We did not live in a world dominated by a patriarchy. We lived in a world that was dominated by the need to survive. And in the need to survive, both men and women had different roles, both of which were constituted not rights, but obligations and, our resp- and responsibilities. Our mothers had obligations and responsibilities, they had, and they had social pressure to get married, to have children, and to spend their life raising those children. And men had social pressure to get married, have children, and to spend their life focused not on doing what they wanted to do, but doing what they had to do to raise enough money to support both their wife and oftentimes, in my father's family, 10 children. And that meant you needed to take jobs that earned more, that paid less. So if you were a high school teacher and your passion was being a high school teacher, you knew when you had children that you had to try to become an administrator because an administrator would earn more than the teacher. And if you were a a local salesperson, you knew that when you got married and had children that you needed to try to become a national salesperson Mm -hmm. so that you'd make more money and have... um, But no one asked men the question, is this what you'd like to do? When I talked about things like that with my father. He said, you don't talk about what you want to do. You talk about what you need to do to be responsible. That's when you become a man. Right. Right. But but now we have this movement of, and there's an acronym for it, like MGTOW or something like that, like men going their own way, where men have just kind of, they're like opting out of all these old-fashioned responsibilities. And I think that's where the movement backfired on women. I mean, wouldn't women want men to be responsible and attentive and do all these things? Now they've just kind of like opted out. It's terrible. I don't think it's good for culture. I I think it's a a bad thing. Some of the men are certainly opting out, but the opting out from the MGTOW movement, which Mm -hmm. is what you're describing, that's coming from feeling like the way that the anger toward men has left so many men feeling that they're only the only way that they're called men is is 
through avenues like toxic masculinity and they're mm-hmm. being and that if they reach out and they're with a woman and have children that there is about a 90% likelihood that if the woman wants the children after divorce that She's they're, gonna, them, they're yeah. not going to have the, the yeah. option to it so they sure. say okay I'm, you know, I'm going off and doing work that I maybe don't want to do so that I can make enough money to take care of the children and then the feminist movement is twisting the fact that I earn more money they see it not as my obligation but they call it male privilege and male power and male oppression and so I'm getting criticized for being responsible on the one hand and then if my wife and I do divorce all the years I've invested the chances are fairly good that my children will be basically taken from me I'll Mm -hmm. have to pay for the house and the children will be turned against me and so I'll lose the house lose the children and is this a good deal and they're saying no it isn't a good deal and so people who fit in that category are saying the risks are too great Mm-hmm. Uh, for them to invest their heart and their life and their money and their career in love and then have the court system take them away from everything that they've worked for and every and everyone they love. That is such a sad state of affairs. I mean, men are looking at the proposition of marriage and, and family as a very risky deal that isn't good for them. It's uh, the courts side against the men 99% of the time, even if they're the more fit parent sometimes. This is not good for society, what's going on. It isn't good for society, and it has created, when I did the research for the boy crisis, one of the things I found is that all over the world, all over the developed world, that is the 63 largest developed nations have in common, their boys are doing significantly worse than they used to do. That is, for example, their sperm counts are decreasing by 50%, their IQs are going down, and they're doing worse in almost every academic area, much more likely to commit suicide, their physical health is, is deteriorating, and they are preparing themselves much less effectively for future careers than they used to have. So in every major parameter in the boy crisis, I ended up citing more than 70 different ways that children without fathers do so much worse than children do when they have fathers and mothers, whether whether it's um, in an intact family or afterwards, but especially the intact family with father and mother involvement both are what leads to children, both boy and girl children, doing much better, but especially boy children are considerably more damaged by divorce than girl children are, which was a surprise to me. Mm-hmm. I thought that boy children could, you know, I didn't realize there was a difference. And that is um, documentable on so many levels. And so what we're doing is we're hurting our sons and we're also hurting our daughters by not having much more of a likelihood of an intact family and father and mother involvement being about equal. Mm -hmm. But we're also boys who hurt, hurt us. I didn't realize that ISIS recruits are almost entirely boys with minimal or no father involvement, as you probably read it. No surprise there. Our prisons, we we have a lot of women's centers in this country, but our men's centers are basically called prisons. And they're not just men's centers. They're centers of almost 
all dad-deprived men. I ran for governor of California some years ago, Mm -hmm. and I spoke at prisons. And when I talked with them about the importance of fathers, I saw these, you know, prisoners that I thought would be hardened prisoners break down and cry and Mm -hmm. say to me, I never realized I was so important. Mm -hmm. I now have a reason to live and a reason to get out of prison because I don't want my children to to make the same mistakes that I made to get here. Yeah, no question about it. One of the areas, uh, the many areas that where society is so unfair to men, uh, since you're talking about prisons, it's interesting to me that in... uh, Uh, And I think Herb Goldberg, if I'm not mistaken, that's the name of the author, maybe, maybe, I'm not sure, wrote about this. Okay, Uh, Herb Goldberg, years ago, wrote some books about this, how, how when there are these financial crimes, for example, look at uh, Bernie Madoff and Ruth Madoff, right? I mean, how can Ruth Madoff pretend to be innocent? You know, she was sleeping with this man for decades as he was running the biggest Ponzi scheme ever. And she got to use all of the money just like he did. Yet Mm -hmm. he goes to prison and she doesn't. Jim and Tammy Faye Baker, same deal. The prison sentence, if there is any prison sentence at all for the wives, and there's usually none, it is minimal. It's nothing. And the man's doing hard time for 20 years. You know, I mean, how can that be? I mean, that's just not right, is it? First of all, obviously, it is not right, and if anyone's interested in that, I document all of that in the myth of male power with you know Tammy Faye Baker and and uh, the Madoffs and so on. And that, that's you're absolutely. Oh, I right. didn't know. I didn't know that that was in there. So, <laughs> yeah, sorry. That's, no, okay. no problem. Okay. You know, the same point is, is still accurate, yeah. no matter where it's written. Yeah, but yeah. You know, but you can check out the data on that and, and the sources for that in the myth of male power. And at every stage of the prison system, the discrimination against males is significant. The the um, and this is when you can control for the same criminal history, the same crime, uh, the the likelihood of a man for the same crime being arrested sooner is greater, the likelihood of him getting a longer sentence is greater, the likelihood of him not getting out in as as quick a period of time, Mm -hmm. and him being put in a prison that deprives him of access to his children. It just happens at very many levels. Every metric, the man gets the inferior deal from society, right? A, correct, and B, what frustrates many people is that the exact opposite is believed. The way the system was set up was not a bunch of men um, making laws to benefit men. Mm-hmm. Actually, you know, if they did that, it would be women who were uh, had to register at the age of 18 for the draft, as males do in the United States today. Right. Yeah. If the system were based on how, what benefits men, we would be socializing our young females to be as sexual as sexual as possible, to want sex for men as often as possible, to pay for men on dates, to buy men the diamond rings, yeah. and to have to be the ones expected to earn the money to a greater degree. That would be a world set up by men to benefit men at the expense of women. Right, right. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Is there a pay gap? And if so, what can women do about it? Uh, that's the title of one of your books. Yes, the book's called Why Men Earn More and What Women Can Do about it. And the the brief answer is, yes, there's a pay gap. The pay gap, though, is not between men and women. It's between dads and moms. When men and women become dads and moms, moms, they make one of three choices. They either work full-time or they're with the children full-time or do some combination of both. If they work full-time, which is compared to the full-time working dads, they're much more likely to work closer to 35 hours a week, which is considered full-time by the Census Bureau Mm -hmm. and by the Bureau of Labor Statistics. And so those 35-hour-per-week working women are now being compared with 
60, 70 hour week working men, right, the working yeah. the fathers are earning more because their obligation once the children are born is to earn more. The mother's obligation is not that mothers work less, mm-hmm. it's that they divide their work between the workplace and the home place and so they're much more likely to cut back. Let's say the woman has been working 50 hours a week before she had children, she's much more likely to cut back to 35-ish hours a week, more likely to take jobs like a teaching that allow her some the summers off mm-hmm. and those are being compared as if they were equal to these to the, these corporate the cardi- jobs the cardiac yeah, 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 or right the, you know or the person yeah. who um who responds to being a father by increasing his obligations in the workplace yeah very interesting you know the other part of it is that i mean there's two kinds of income in life right there's monetary income and psychic income and i think it would be hard for anyone to argue that uh, mothers don't get a greater psychic income than fathers do they get to spend more time with the children most of the time uh certainly in our culture at least mother's day is a far more important holiday than father's day there's much more money spent on mother's day than father's day. Mothers are just more important than fathers. That's the way society views it. I'm not saying it's, I'm not making a judgment on it. I'm just saying it's the way it is. So mothers get a much greater degree of psychic income. They have a much closer bond with their children. When mom dies, I don't know that there's empirical data because this is not, this is soft science here, but it's much more devastating, I think, to pretty much anybody in the family than it is when father dies, you know? Uh, and and, and by the way, and by the way, let's not forget that father dies eight to 10 years earlier on average, because he's, mm-hmm. he's working, <laughs> he's working himself to death, you know? And what's interesting too, is that now that women have become slaves to the corporations, just like men have been slaves to the corporations for longer, they're dying of the same stress related diseases as men do at an earlier age now. It's kind of like yes. that's, that's starting to equal out. You're absolutely right. We have, first of all, what I call the father's catch-22. And the father's catch-22 is that the father learns to love his family by being away from the love of his family. Hmm. And that often leads him to earning more money, but feeling less loved and feeling less opportunity to love. So when the Pew Research Center asked for the first time men who were full-time working men, which would you prefer to do, continue being a full-time working man or be full-time involved with your children? Not part-time, but full-time involved with your children. 49% of men said, I'd prefer to be full-time involved with my children, except for the fact that my family needs the money. But what the society does is it says, if you're a woman and you have children, you have three choices. Uh, Choice one is work full-time. Choice two is work part-time. And choice three is um, be home full-time. And it says to men, you have three choices too. Choice number one is work full-time. Choice number two is work full-time. And choice number three is work (laughs) full-time. And the difference is that there are some women who are both biologically and for other reasons, Others that are more prone to be fully involved with the children and others that are more prone to want to work part-time and be with the children part-time. And so women have 
choices that are socially approved of, that their personality, they can discover what is my personality, what is my time of life, how much do I want to do of each of these options, and no matter which way they go, there's considerable social approval for that. But if a man says, you know, I want to be full-time involved as a dad, and he meets a woman at a party, and he's in college, let's say, and he says this to the woman, well, the chances are fairly good that a reporter may come to him um, at the party, but not a, the woman may not come back for a second drink. Right. And so he's he's risking like, you know, gee, I, I appreciate the value on your, your value system of wanting to be a full-time dad, mm-hmm. but I don't know that I personally want to marry a man who's not going to have any income coming in, and I'll only feel like the obligation is on me to earn money, and I'll feel like you're just one more child. Yeah. And so because women have those options, and those options are more tailored to their personality, they have more likelihood of being fulfilled. And whereas the man, certain men are oriented toward, you know, that full-time work and that purpose from that, other men are more sort of more nurturing types, but the more nurturing types just have to figure out a way of earning more money once they have children. And that oftentimes uh, stresses them out in a way that having options does not stress women out. You know what you didn't mention yet is how uh, many times the mom will leave the workforce, not just for six weeks of maternity leave, but for several years to raise the children. And if the pay for a given job is based on experience, if by the time each person, the the male and the female, and they're both parents are 40 years old, say, you know, the woman, uh, if she's left the workforce uh, to raise two kids for a period of time, she might have seven less fewer years of experience than the man does, for example, right? Is it fair to expect that the pay would be the same for the person with, uh, you know, almost half the experience of, of their, their male counterpart in that example? One thing very few people understand is that uh, when it comes to the pay gap is that women who have never been married and never had children earn 117% of what men who have never been married and never have children earn. Oh, wow. It It is not the workplace that discriminates against women for the same work It is when women are not focused on having children or do not plan to have children, they focus more on their careers. When men do not have plans to have children, they focus more on things that are fulfilling. And the more fulfilling your occupation, the less you're likely to earn. So people who have fulfilling occupations like, you know, an actor, they're usually called waiter, and the um, (laughs) artist is called starving artist. When you do things that are very fulfilling, you don't expect to make a lot of money, and you usually don't. Whereas if if you're, say, an art history major in college, and you then compare yourself to somebody who doesn't even have a college education, but he is um, a garbage collector, the chances are that garbage collector will make more collecting garbage than the art history major will as an art history major. Um, But both of them sort of understand that the average person feels that they need their garbage picked up more than they need education about a given painting on their wall. You know what's so interesting, and I've just got to let you make a point on this too, because it's really important. Women, as you illustrated in in, uh, your book, The Myth of Male Power, women tend to work in more pleasant 
socially oriented jobs versus men work in a lot of lonely, dangerous jobs, lonely, dirty, dangerous jobs. I mean, I've never in my life seen a female trash collector ever, ever. I mean, and I've seen a lot of trash collectors in my life, never saw a female one ever. Yet women are working in nicely appointed offices. Sure, they're doing hard, stressful jobs that take real brain power. I get it. I completely agree with that. But they're not welding oil rigs at the bottom of the seafloor usually, are they? I mean, you know, speak to me. No, you're absolutely right. And even just to take an everyday um, experience, just call your next Uber driver or Lyft driver or cab driver. 95% male. And and, and 90% of the Uber drivers are male. Here is something that every woman, just like almost every woman, just like almost every man can do. But it's a job that doesn't pay a lot. It's a job that requires many people, especially cab drivers that have medallions. They usually work about 70 hours a week. Um, It's the highest homicide rate of any um, occupation. Mm -hmm. And among the women who are versus men who are cab drivers, it's a much safer job for women. Um, People who are in cabs do not kill women as often as they kill men, contrary Mm -hmm. to maybe popular belief. But it's a job that requires a great deal of stress and long hours. Mm -hmm. And who are doing these jobs? About 90% uh, males. And this is not because... I had a cab driver once um, say to me while Gloria Steinem and I were in the cab on the way to a, uh, a show in New York uh, that Alan Alda was doing. He said, well, where are you? you know, he knew that we we're going to a TV studio. I said, are you guys doing TV? And then he recognized Gloria Steinem. Mm-hmm. And we told him that, you know, that we were going to talk about, you know, male power and stuff like that, you know, from earning more money. And he says, well, you know, who do you think earns more money, me or my wife? And he said, probably you. And mm-hmm. he said, he said, yeah, I work 70 hours a week. Do you think I want to earn 70 hours, work 70 And, you know, Gloria goes, "Mm." and so I go, probably not. Mm -hmm. And he says, well, why do you think I do it? And he explained, you know, he does it because so his his wife can have a decent home. And so his kids will not have to drive a cab like he does um, so that his kids can have a better life with more options than Mm -hmm. he has. And that's the fundamental misunderstanding that the women's movement has basically said, if you earn more, you're a man, you have male privilege and male power. If you earn unless they're not interested in you. It just doesn't seem too fair to men. And I tell you, if I were female, I would be saying the same thing. And and a lot of females do see it. A female friend of mine, I had her listen to the audiobook of Men on Strike, and she said, yeah, I, I just never realized a lot of this stuff. Yeah. It is not a man's world. <laughs> at all. No, no, it, <laughs> we didn't talk about college admissions and how women have so many advantages there and, and they're using them too because almost 60% of grad school and undergrad is like female now or something. I, I, mean, I don't have, it's not an exact number, but you get the idea. Yes, it would actually be more uh-huh. than that. The affirmative action is actually beginning to happen for boys, but the reason for it is what we really need to focus on. The, you know, the boy crisis that I talk about mm-hmm. in that book sure. is really is really looking at how what's the underlying reasons why boys are suddenly not doing so well in any academic okay. area. Okay, what, what are they? Well. Yeah. The most there's about ten different causes, um, but because we don't have time for all of them, the most important single cause is the boy crisis resides where fathers do not reside Mm. more than any other single phenomenon. Now, girls without fathers do worse also. 
Mm -hmm. Um, But boys suffer considerably more. They don't have role models, whereas girls who are raised by single moms do have same-sex role models. Mm -hmm. Second, boys used to have a sense of purpose, even though that purpose was maybe to be disposable in war Mm -hmm. or to have the obligation of being the sole breadwinner. Today, boys don't feel that they have that automatic sense of purpose. Um, So they need a father more than ever to help them discover themselves and connect what their passions are with what their ability to earn money is. Mm -hmm. And so we have two things happening simultaneously. We have a purpose void combined with a dad void that's multiplied by a dad void. Mm -hmm. And that is happening all over the developed world. In the largest 63 developed nations, boys are falling behind girls. And we we see this manifest in drugs and opioids and addiction to porn, Mm -hmm. addiction to video games, the frequency with which boys commit crimes. And if you want to, you know, prisons are not just men's centers. They are men's centers for the most part, but they're also centers of fatherless boys and men. Boys are doing very well in the areas where fathers are involved, and fathers are involved for the most part in intact families more than our past, the past generation. So you have this enormous gap between boys who have significant father involvement who are doing very well and boys who have minimal or no father involvement who are doing very badly. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, so the task of the boy crisis was to sort of look at, you know, what are the solutions to this? And what can a single mother do if she doesn't have any way of involving the father? Mm-hmm. And how can you, and what's the difference between dad-style parenting and mom-style parenting where children do the, the best when there is what I call checks and balance parenting, when mom-style parenting is valued and dad-style parenting is valued. And by dad-style parenting, I mean things like roughhousing and coaching Mm -hmm. and enforcing boundaries, because without enforced boundaries, children do not learn how to have postponed gratification. And especially boys who don't know postponed gratification, all their immediate gratification desires combined with testosterone Mm -hmm. tends to channel the lack of postponed gratification in very destructive places, Mm -hmm. as opposed to boys with fathers that do have the boundary enforcement that does lead to postponed gratification. That tends to lead um, to their testosterone being channeled in very many constructive ways. Very interesting. I never connected it that way, Warren. But I would say certainly, and I tell my real estate investor uh, audience and clients this all the time, you know, one of the key things to success in life is the ability to delay gratification and look toward a long-term goal. And men kind of are good at that in a way. I mean, there's certainly no shortage of visionary type men in the world that look at a distant goal. And I suppose women do too, but, you know. So, since it's a man's world, <laughs> that's who I hear from all the time, right? But, you know, not yeah. that there's any self-selection going on. There, no, there's a huge amount. I mean, almost almost all your inventors are males. Yeah. You know, the ones that apply for and get patents are males. And, you know, males and females both have different contributions we tend to make. Sure. And women have certainly contributed a great deal more to the, you know, to the nurturing process and to the raising of children. And, and we, you know, I'm glad we live in a world where, we are saying, you know, women be whoever you want to be. That's the great gift of the Absolutely. feminist movement. Absolutely. That is a great gift of the women's movement. It just seems like it got too sort of radicalized at some point where it became this man-hating, crazy thing and on like wave wave number three. 
unfortunately, the, the feminist movement in creating that men are the oppressors, women are the oppressed, in having the hashtag Me Too as opposed to having hashtag men and women speak up. Mm-hmm. Uh, men and women have a dialogue about the misunderstandings and the understandings. of. And we say sex, we live in a culture that it, every time you use a sexual word, it's a dirty word. Mm-hmm. So we say sex is dirty, and then we say, oh, guys, you're the you know, women have the option to initiate the dirt, but you guys have the expectation to initiate the dirt. Mm-hmm. And when you do it, if you do, if you do it too quickly or too um, much in a way that we don't want at the level of drinking that we've done, you're going to be um, potentially in the hashtag Me Too list. And if yeah. you don't do it quickly enough or assertively enough, um, uh, we're not even going to notice that you're interested in us. Then you're a wimp or you're gay or there's something wrong with you. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's just, it's unbelievable. And I empathize with both women and men, but the hashtag Me Too is only sharing the male, the female perspective on that. Mm-hmm. And the male-female sexual tango is a tango. Mm-hmm. And whenever you change any part of a tango, you have to change and re-examine the entire tango itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we're not re-examining the entire tango. Right. It used to be we'd have a battle of the sexes. But today we have a war in which only one side has shown up. And guys have tended to put their heads in the sand and hope the bullets will miss. And that's a destructive, you know, to take the sex that is already likely to understand that being successful, it comes from repressing your feelings, not expressing your feelings, and then tell these boys and men to put their heads in the sand and hope the bullets would miss. It's just a reinforcement of the problems of toxic masculinity, of repressing your feelings, um, not expressing your feelings. Like we talked about earlier, the men just bow out. They do the men going your own way uh, or men going their own way acronym. They don't form support groups. They don't hold rallies. They don't do movements. They just kind of bow out and the younger ones get into video games and porn and the older ones dive into work or whatever they do. Ah, it's a sad state of affairs. I sure hope things turn around. Uh, will they? <laughs> and and let's wrap well, it up it, there. <laughs> it, it'll, it'll be a very slow turnaround. And the reason, one of the reasons I focused on the boy crisis as opposed to the man crisis mm-hmm. is because when I speak to mothers about boys their heart opens up because their protector instinct as a mother of a son is tapped into. Mm -hmm. When I speak to women or mothers about men and what challenges men have, their hearts tend to close down because they're biologically programmed to be protected by men. Mm -hmm. And when your protector is complaining about something, your fear is that you're going to lose that protection. You don't want your protector whining. Mm-hmm. Women don't fall in love with whining men. They fall in love with alpha men. And behind every alpha man is an enormous weakness, just like buck elks, the elk that is has the biggest antlers. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are the uh, elk that the females mate with. But in order to get those big antlers, they have to use up 30% of their minerals, their um, calcium, Mm -hmm. and so they end up being the weakest elk. And if they don't get rid of those antlers very quickly, uh, Mm -hmm. they die before the winter comes um, because they can't get enough nutrition to replenish what they've uh, taken away. And that's an example of the men's weakness being our facade of strength. Mm-hmm. We have these big antlers that lead us to being attractive to women, but underneath that, those big antlers is our weakness. 
Mm, wow. The interesting, interesting comparison to nature. Thank you for sharing that. Thanks for sharing everything. Give out your website and uh, let's have our listeners check you out and check your books out. Sure. It's warrenferrell.com. The Farrell is Warren, W-A-R-R-E-N. And Farrell is F is in Frank, A-R-R-E-L-L.com. Um, I couldn't remember anything more complicated, so they just gave me my name. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and um, I, the books I would most recommend are The Boy Crisis and probably The Myth of Male Power, if you really want to understand these issues at a deep level. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, women listening to this, it is critically important that you understand what dynamic is taking place in our culture. Women just don't usually see it. I mean, I was so surprised when... Uh, I had my friend listen to that other book, uh, Men on Strike. She just, you know, like, wow, I, I never realized this was going on, that this thinking was even occurring in society. And it's just it's just really important, I think, for women to understand this dynamic because we're all in this together. Absolutely. Many times women will tell me that they read the myth of male power, the boy crisis, and they go on a, on a for single women I'm talking about now, they go on a date and they start sharing some of these things about the male perspective on uh, power and the male perspective on everyday life. And it's like the man that they're dating, they're going out with falls in love with them because he's like never met any woman that, that articulated his perspective before. And yeah. so women want to be heard. They need to be heard. And they've done a very, very good job of articulating uh, their feelings for the last half century. But uh, men have not done the same thing. And what, you can't blame women on that. Uh, women can't hear what men don't say. Right, right. Well, yeah, you can't hear the dogs that don't bark, as I always say. <laughs> so yes, that's, exactly. That's, right. ve that's very true. Well, uh, Dr. Warren Farrell, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a total pleasure. So we did something very interesting a long time ago on the show. One of our clients was an expert in guided visualizations and the law of attraction. And she was kind enough to come on the show and do a guided visualization for us. And she actually did this for us at a live event. I believe it was actually at one of our Meet the Masters conferences many years ago. What I wanted to do is offer you a little gift. And that is an extra bonus episode every week. Uh, this will come out on Saturday, a little bonus episode, and it's nothing like a regular episode. It's totally different. It's going to be a guided visualization. I've hired an expert for this, and she does a great job of guided visualizations. And you know the power of visualization. Anything that the mind can conceive and believe, it can achieve. That's what Napoleon Hill, one of the early success authors of Think and Grow Rich, told us. And if you can get your mind, your subconscious mind, to conceive and believe things with multi-sensory detail, that is a very powerful tool. So why don't we take this tool and make it specific to the principles of real estate investing that I teach? And uh, we will do that. We are customizing guided visualizations. We hired this expert. And every Saturday, we will release a very short guided visualization as a sixth episode per week on the podcast. And you can take the weekend and listen to this and relax. And they're just a few minutes long. They're very short. And it will help you 
in your visualization of your bright future, your abundant future as an income property investor. So I hope you like it. It's just a little bonus for you. Look for this every Saturday. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes. Be sure to check out the show's specific website and our general website, hartmanmedia.com, for appropriate disclaimers and terms of service. Remember that guest opinions are their own. And if you require specific legal or tax advice or advice in any other specialized area, please consult an appropriate professional. And we also very much appreciate you reviewing the show. Please go Go to iTunes or Stitcher Radio or whatever platform you're using and write a review for the show. We would very much appreciate that. And be sure to make it official and subscribe so you do not miss any episodes. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode.